1: Hello. you
2: with Nick and
0: Fiona. Have
1: you ever hit somebody with a can opener in a movie before? I
0: haven't. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Basin. Nick, what are we talking about today?
1: We've got a lot going on today, Fiona. M. Night Shyamalan's new movie Glass is in theaters. So we got a chance to, well, you got a chance to talk to the director himself we are talking about Mia Wasikowska's new movie, Piercing, and the new series of You're the Worst. But first, Mary, Queen of Scots.
3: England does not look so different from Scotland.
1: I. they are sisters. Queen Elizabeth, your cousin Mary has returned to take up her throne in Scotland. The Queen!
3: My dear cousin Elizabeth, I hope we might meet in person, that I might embrace you. But ruling side by side, we must do so in harmony, not through a treaty drafted by men lesser than ourselves. My dear cousin, let our nations cherish each other as we would, two kingdoms united.
1: How did the world come to
3: this? Why is men servicing the whims of women?
1: So Mary, played by Saoirse Ronan, is returning to Scotland to reclaim her throne. She's under a lot of pressure to marry, I think, an English person so that the England and Scotland can get along. England is led by Queen Elizabeth, who is played by Margot Robbie. She is also under pressure to marry, and it's about women in power who are under lots of pressure from the men in their immediate courts, respective courts to do the right thing. Well, the traditional thing, rather. And, yeah, that's pretty much what it's about.
0: (laughs) Yes, about the rivalry between these two young queens and the friendship they might have had if...
1: Had the men in their lives not pitted them against each other constantly. Pretty much. Um, What did you think of this movie?
0: (sighs) I will confess I... Manage my expectations going in because the trailer left me cold, mm. but the trailer's not the film itself. I think it's two thirds of a good movie. Where it's meant to inspire emotion, it didn't. There's a story in there about women in power and the men who are their advisors and, and whatnot. And it says a lot about their relationship and how it, what it might have been, but it's also a little—it's too simplistic in the way it tells that story as well. Like it assumes that there's a natural affinity because they're women, and I think like clearly this is the Mary biopic that you know. There's been a couple of Elizabeth ones with our Kate Blanchett, but this one tells the Mary Queen of Scots side of the story. Of course, it does, and clearly it's more sympathetic to her, her passions, and you know she's more impulsive. Um, Whereas And progressive. And progressive, very much so. Yeah, we mm, can so get to that. Progressive. <laughs> Whereas Elizabeth is restrained and has to repress her emotions and, like, she chooses to be childless and chooses not to marry and that's a choice that ultimately gives her the longevity on the on the throne in that right. she makes those decisions. She represses any passions that Mary might have had, which didn't serve Mary so well in the end. I, so um, kind of, they're polar opposites and it's a yeah. little...
1: Mm, I think that that is the most interesting thing about the movie. When I was engaged, which was not for very much, it was when you can see how a queen at a time where, like they could just come out and say how we shouldn't have female rulers because uh, be subject to their whims and what have you. Mm -hmm. So that was very interesting. But beyond that, I found it really hard to care about any of what was going on. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it felt really kind of traditional by-the-numbers um, courts and kings and queens and... Costumes. Costumes and I was going to say sandals, but I'm, I'm sure they're not wearing sandals. they're court shoes. Yeah. And I started to resent all the ways in which is trying to modernize the um, the costume uh, period drama. There are people of color all over the place, mm. and every time I saw one, I, I thought, what is this? Would this Asian woman really be here? And I started to think... You're just kind of slotting these people in, just kind of superficially, just because it's like a progressive, but ultimately kind of hollow gesture. And they're the storyline with the gay uh, musician in her court. And how her husband has an affair with him, but she's cool with it because she's cool with gay people.
0: I mean, she's not so
1: cool with the affair, but she's cool with
0: the fact her minstrel is gay.
1: And but she keeps him around, even though she had he had an affair with her husband. It all just yeah. seems a little bit. I don't it,
0: know. Well, that under you know underscores how progressive her she is, and the way she would have ruled. I think obviously it's made for an audience now, and like religious tolerance is. And, you know, she's, she's Catholic, whereas England's in the reformist just coming out of Henry VIII. Right. Yeah, so it's emphasising how progressive she was. Is it factual? Eh. But also, it, I mean, I kind of – I don't mind that it makes you think that maybe in the past things were a little more progressive than maybe they are or have been since. Like there's kind of an assumption that every generation is more progressive than the one previous. So you assume everything was far more conservative – in the past, whereas maybe elements of things weren't.
1: Right. I've just found it really inconsistent because there's mm. there's blatant homophobia mm. and there's there are little comments here and there, but people are cool with, like there's a British Asian woman there. Mm. It just seems weird and out of place.
0: I think it's meant to. But people haven't seen it. It's very
1: detailed conversation. Yeah, anyway, it it took me out of the movie, and I I appreciated the gesture because all of these movies in history are are filled with white people, but Mm. that's kind of... It just feels like that's what it would have looked like. And I'm not going to go and check, I doubt (laughs) anyone else is, what was the reality of multiculturalism Mm. in uh, the 16th century Mm. England. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, left me hollow. Mm. And I was thinking... A much better movie about a similar time period is the favourite.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate for Mary Queen of Scots that they're both out at the same time because having seen both, the favourite is a extremely fresh way to do a costume drama
1: with a modern.
0: Yeah, yeah. That
1: is how you do it. That's how it's done.
0: Yeah, whereas Mary Queen of Scots adheres to the more traditional storytelling way, but with different casting choices that give it those modern eyes. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, I don't like that. It does, I don't like it that. does make you, huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Hmm. <laughs> um, okay. But, look, I, th- I think this film had an opportunity with being about two female leaders and what it says about how they're treated. You know, we have not progressed beyond that. I mean, look at Julia Gillard and her choice not to sure, have children sure. and, you know, the, the idea of... Uh, a woman not being a mother who's in a leader, let alone a woman, any woman being a leader and how they're treated. So it's, you know, there's that connection to present day as well. Um, This one's written by Bo Willimon, creator of House of Cards,
1: interestingly. Oh, that's right. Yeah.
0: You know, obviously he's a sucker for stories of political intrigue and the people behind the drama and all the machinations and whatnot. And you can see that. And it's interesting. He left House of Cards' second last series, I think. He he. Out. Um, oh, he
1: wasn't doing it until the end. No, no. He left. Oh, all
0: right. I, uh, I look it up. I think okay. season yeah, yeah. five was when he was not him anymore. Um, And it's interesting that the final season had Claire as the leader yeah, yeah. and whatnot and, you know, that wasn't his work, but what they did with a female leader and my complaint yeah. that, oh, they just made her pregnant. That was not the most interesting way to end that show. Look, it's interesting all I'm saying. But this is a female director and it's largely female executive producers who are credited first. There's a whole lot of fingerprints on this.
1: Okay. I just think there's a potential. There's an idea there, but it's just not, it's just th- kind of boring ultimately. I
0: think it's mostly there. I wasn't bored with it. I just wasn't impacted as much as it wants you to be impacted. It's a bit, ah, uh, and it cops out at the end, I think. it. It's, Don't you think t- it's, it's very just- detailed and then it's not, <laughs> and it all wraps up. Anyway,
1: disappointing. Yeah, all, at the end it just felt like Oscar bait to me. Next, Glass, is in theatres this week. It's M. Night Shyamalan's latest entry into what I guess is some sort of, for him, a franchise, starting with Unbreakable and Split, and now this third instalment.
0: It's a trilogy, and this one's wrapping up the world that he started with Unbreakable of everyday ordinary people becoming superheroes. Comic books are real. They walk among us. Comic books are history books. That's right.
1: My bones break easily. I've had 94 breaks in my life.
3: But you have an extraordinary IQ.
1: This is not a cartoon.
3: This is the real world. No way. And yet, some of us still don't die with bullets. Some of us can still bend steel. I've been waiting for the world to see that we exist.
0: What do we call you, sir? First name,
1: Mr. Last name. class So this brings back Bruce Willis as the guy who's got super strength, uh, Sam Jackson as the evil mastermind, and James McAvoy as the multiple personality sufferer, one of whose personalities is a Super strong beast. beast Not to be confused with Beast from the X-Men Okay He's blue and hairy That's who I was thinking about the whole time He's got the same powers too It's ridiculous
0: I have to say I wasn't Oh no? No You're not a huge <laughs> beast aficionado us. Well, before we go into details about the movie Let's have a chat to M. Night Shyamalan Okay Okay Hello. Hello, I'm Night Shyamalan. Welcome to The Playlist.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for joining us. I'm intrigued. Uh, with Unbreakable, you know, all those years ago, you conceived of a world and, you know, it seemed you may return to it one day and here we have. How much of what we see now was in your mind back then and, and how much of, of it has played out now in glass?
2: Um, A a lot of it was kind of vaguely there. I mean, I knew these two guys, David Dunn and the Beast, were going to have to confront each other in some big, big way. And it would either validate Elijah's theory or not. And kind of a seemingly from ordinary beginnings, origins, they would show their extraordinariness and uh, kind of underline Elijah's theory that comic books are based on reality and um, there would be a sense of the psychological throughout. So the, those those elements I knew were there in Glass and and when were they going to meet and how it's going to happen evolved a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Obviously the huge success of Split, I guess that decided the fate of, of getting the go-ahead with Glass. Otherwise, yeah. you, <laughs> otherwise you've got a strange sequel reference at the end of the movie that um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of would go nowhere. I'm, I'm curious with the world, superhero franchises – in our world, um, are a dime a dozen now, but they don't seem to exist in the world of the Overseer and Hoard and Mr. Glass. You reference superheroes, but really only from comic books and 60s Batman.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: which is great. Why, why is that?
2: You know, I'm, I'm, I reference comic book conventions, <laughs> and so I, I didn't want I'm getting. I was trying to be meta about it, talk about <laughs> the prevalence of comic books, but not... Start to overlap on ourselves. Talk about other movies with other, you know, it's so self-referential. Where I'm like referencing James McAvoy in X-Men <laughs> while he's in, yeah. You know, you got Sam and James who are in those other franchises. <laughs> so it's it's all very delicate balance of House of Cards that will fall apart <laughs> if you start to <laughs> you start thinking of them as actors and not Elijah and Kevin Wendell Crumb. So <laughs> it was it was a pretty clean line for me of not wanting to, I did toy with the idea for a second of (laughs) doing direct references um, to those, to those characters. I, 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 I thought about it, about giving Marvel a call and asking if I could do something like that. But, you know, already I have two studios and essentially Marvel's a third studio. I'd be like, oh my God, this is getting insane. If I get every studio in one movie. Yeah, (laughs) it would be quite a
0: fate. (laughs) Also, you know, you're not working with Avengers kind of money here. But with mm-hmm. Unbreakable, even with its sizable budget back then, does it help that it, you know, was quite a grounded film and wasn't a visual effects extravaganza, like it it's helped Yeah. the franchise to what you know, 20 years on when budgets aren't what they used to be. Yeah. to keep it more it, grounded.
2: Yeah, it definitely helps. I mean, you know, at that time that was a, you know, a decent size budget but not crazy mm-hmm. for sure and Unbreakable And, um, you know, for me, I prefer to solve it without CGI if I can, if I can figure out a way to think of it with a grounded approach that feels better. It feels more in in line with the language of the piece. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel... too much constraint by not having the budget that we needed to do what we needed to do.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you do have fun with the conventions and the genre beats and misdirection.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: and Samuel L. Jackson certainly he has fun announcing them when they when they start to happen. <laughs> <laughs> How caught up in that superhero movie franchise world are you as a viewer?
2: You know, I see some of them, uh, uh, you know, so I enjoy a bunch of them like everybody does. I I don't go to all of them Mm. or anything like that, but I've enjoyed their tone. I think Marvel, after Robert kind of found that tone with uh, Iron Man 1, I think they really kind of found their in into it where Mm. they have, you know, a a kind of a self-referential, not self-referential, but more of like a a tongue-in-cheek approach to it that keeps it buoyant.
0: Mm-hmm. Your name obviously is now synonymous with, with a bit of a twist, well, a huge twist in, in some films. Um, how much does that play into your head when, when you're writing a script?
2: You know, by nature, the genre is one that, that comes with a kind of an answer. So it's not something I have to manufacture because I make thrillers, which are essentially muscular mysteries. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be an answer of some type. Who did it? What's happening? You know, what's the answer to that noise in the other room? and when you might as well as a viewer find out when the main character finds out Mm -hmm. and so there's always a payoff of something you know so I think it's a genre thing as opposed to if I did rom-coms or something it it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily be part of the 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 structure.
0: (laughs) I mean you should give it a go it might be might be fun to (laughs) do a
2: rom-com with a big twist Um,
0: and I'm curious in coming back you know, returning to familiar ground and certainly with the same actors. How did 18 years later working with Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson on their characters from 20 years ago? How did, how did you work with them differently, if at all, or how did the dynamic change in having having a gap?
2: You know, it was similar. It was mm-hmm. similar. I mean, it's still. You know, we still approach things like a like a play. We rehearse. The shots are all planned out in advance, and we're kind of choreographing everything to those shots. I mean, all of that's still there. Sam, I thought has become a more refined actor. I think he, he was prepped and he really knew everything. He asked the questions early and the specificity and Bruce, you know, I, I'd seen him like as a father figure a lot because I knew him socially and I saw him with his kids and I I saw an energy about him that I hadn't seen on screen. And I really wanted to bring out a more gentler, you know, fathery kind of energy out of him. And so, I was kind of leaning into them a little bit now that I knew them, whereas in Unbreakable, I, I had not really – I didn't really know them very well. I mean, I knew Bruce from Sixth Sense, but I didn't know Sam at all.
0: Mm. And James McAvoy, I mean
2: mm, – Thank God. Yeah, yeah. right.
0: Um, would have been a risk for him to take on this role, or should I say these roles, much less to return to it again. How? And I guess with your relationship, how did you develop the trust between each other to know that – for you to know that he could pull it off and for him to know that it was worth – taking the risk.
2: You know what? I think both of us have a very similar sensibility for craft, sensibility, specificity, and entertainment. And so we both have this kind of theatrical approach, meaning by the theater training, I mean, the plays, and, and the craft involved with getting specific, but on, at the same time, we both have a little bit of a wink in our eye that we enjoy entertaining people. And giving a great performance doesn't mean in exclusion of entertaining. And um, we have both mine and search for those opportunities to do both. And so we're in alignment as we're looking through the field of what we're doing. And, and I think that's why we kind of work so well together and have brought the best out in each other. We have similar value systems.
1: Mm.
0: And in researching, you know, his his condition, how how do you come at criticisms from mental health organisations, for instance, who complain that it's another depiction of a villain, of someone with a with a mental illness?
2: Yeah, well, you know, again, there was a very minor reaction to that mm-hmm. in, in Split, and I don't think there'll be any in this. Well, it's a comic book movie, so ultimately mm-hmm. you're in that world. But I'm not sure there are black and white villains and heroes in Glass, you know, mm-hmm. and certainly at the end of the movie, there's an incredible sympathy for the character there. I would, I would argue that the audience is so in Kevin Wendell Crumb's camp and so much rooting for him at the end of this movie that their sympathy is 100% aligned. I mean, I've never seen an audience connection with a character ever in any of my movies stronger than Kevin. And so they're identifying with their plight, which is a tragic one. And a beautiful one and they're you know just the human mind to fight and come up with a way of defending itself in this manner it's extraordinary absolutely extraordinary and he is the main character of the movie mm-hmm. and uh, they sympathize with him so I, and james is really the one that gets all the credit for this bringing such empathy to every single part you can be funny and this and that and you can be even doing something wrong, but you have to defend it as a human being, and he did that. And it's such a beautiful thing—all of these personalities that come to help the core personality. Mm. I really, really, as you can tell when you watch the movie, have a big respect for these individuals and for the field of psychiatry, and and feel like uh, there's so much to learn. And, and so I'm I'm a big uh, supporter of of the field and. And hopefully when you finish the movie Glass, everybody's feeling incredible empathy for the character.
0: Mm. One thing I appreciated, with you you know, you appear in your films and in this one you connect the dots between the two roles in Unbreakable and in Split.
2: Yeah. Because
0: <laughs> <we>, I wondered <laughs> how how that worked out in the in the universe. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I was a little wink, I was going to do it in Split, but I was worried it was going to give away before the end of Split. Uh-huh. I was going to okay. do the wink in my scene in Split, but I, I held back just in case. There were some wise viewers and then they clicked into it too early.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, there would have been a blog that would have then (laughs) gone. There always is. And I guess on that, in reception to your films, you have experienced it all. You've been Critical Darling and, unfortunately, the flip side of that too. Be honest, do you you read reviews? Do you read them all? Do you scour...
2: I, I don't, and I don't remember, by the way, being a critical darling, so oh, you might want sense. To, to me.
0: me. Oh, maybe it's revisionist. No, that
2: was, that was, that was all retrospective, okay. by the way. <laughs> that was all retrospective, They even, you know, that's not what happened. You know, we were, dumped, we were dumped in September, we dumped in August, and it was a small little movie that was, that grew from audiences. Audiences carried that thing on its back and really strengthened it, and even when we got the awards attention on it, that came out of nowhere. I mean, nobody really thought we were gonna get that. So it was all very beautifully kind of grassroots, which is, the, which is such a beautiful thing. But I don't really, that's not where my energy should go. My energy is really not in what are the repercussions of your movies, but just in the relationship with the characters and the story, that's where the energy should go. Otherwise you're really adulterating your, your pool of your energy. You know, you ultimately, like all the great artists that have been the teachers like the Agatha Christie's or even Stan Lee for that matter. That just create, 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 go tell the next story and concentrate on the characters and that if you if you can really find that in your life like that, where your energy should be focused, you have such a better life it's when you start to think that you can control the outcomes that you become super unhappy
0: mm, no, I'll bet yeah, and I mean even on your films, like even you know that initial reception, and even you know I fell trapped to it then you know, <laughs> thinking that it was all rosy when um, when six sense came out, there kind of is a almost a 10 year delay with how your films are then written about 10 years later, sort of on the the anniversaries and whatnot. Do, Do you find that funny?
2: You know, it's so rewarding because there's a sense of believing in the resonance of things. Like, you know, if you concentrate on a frame or a lighting or a lens that there's a kind of a sugar quotient, quotient way to do it. And then there's a kind of a resonant way to do it. And it's, that becomes sticky. It sticks to your ribs kind of, storytelling mm-hmm. and to, to see that it stayed these movies have stayed with people for a long time and have sat with them and now going to a second generation it's it's just so sweet and rewarding and obviously the dream as a filmmaker that that you're you're making experiences that are sticking to people and become part of their lives not something disposable
0: mm. And with the world building that you've done now with um, Unbreakable Split and Glass, you know, the whole the whole idea of ordinary people being made extraordinary through just everyday circumstances, um, regardless of the fates of these three particular superheroes, do you think you'll return to the world that you've built?
2: I don't think so. Mm. I, think, I think we're, you know, we've told the story and mm. we want it to continue in the minds of the audience and that slightly open-endedness and possibilities, the feeling of possibilities is a beautiful thing and makes, it makes you feel like you're a part of the story and it's kind of handing off to the audience. And, but I, am primarily a, an essentially an original storyteller. So that's what I love to mm-hmm. figure out a new language and a new format and new characters and you and I having a new relationship a year and a half from now or two years from now and seeing how we, you know, how I can make you connect with the new color. So I'm really excited to, Hit that terror of the, the blank page again.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and on that, have you have you got the next project worked out? And can you tell us anything? I have
2: two I have two ideas that yeah. are pretty fleshed out and I'm trying to decide which one. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. I'm leaning towards one. It's the one that I haven't figured out quite as much mm-hmm. and I'm leaning towards that one. <laughs> um We'll work it out. Hopefully, in the next couple of months.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. We love to ask our guests what they've been watching, sort of loving or hating, just to get a sense mm. of, of what what's been on your radar of late. What What are some things that you've you've seen for better or worse?
2: Movie wise, I saw I saw <laughs> a movie called The Rider, which I really liked. Okay. I mean, it was just small little movie, but I thought it was just unbelievable. I saw Isle of Dogs, which I thought was wonderful. You know, West for me is is just such a a unique storyteller and his rhythms are so, so provocative to me. And I have a ton of movies to catch up on when we're done this promotion. So Mm -hmm. I'll be home and catching up on everything that i missed over the last six weeks.
0: Yeah, now you've been a bit sidetracked of late, I'm sure, (laughs) doing the rounds. (laughs) But how do you you watch your films and what's your kind of habits?
2: Well, I either go to the movie theatre that's near us or I watch at home, we have a movie theatre and we watch there. So either one like that, I try to watch on the big screen, you know, to really get a sense of the storytelling impact
0: mm-hmm.
2: by my preference is to go to the movie theater
0: yeah and you're you know you're known for setting your films in philadelphia you know i think there's a specific line delivered in the film where sarah paulson's character says that she plans to take her work to a different city is there a movie of yours that might be set somewhere else
2: absolutely yeah. i you know i've i often you know want to do you know exterior you know sydney and okay. and just start telling a story <laughs> uh but uh i i when my, my kids are almost grown up to the point where i can write exterior sydney and, and see what happens
0: <laughs> <laughs> well we look forward to that
2: okay
0: <laughs> yeah look thank you so much it, it's been a real thank treat you. to talk to you and congratulations on getting there with the trilogy thank you so much all, right. all the best Take care. Bye.
1: i have to say one of the things i like most about m night is uh, that he sets his movies in Philadelphia, which I think is an underrated large American city. Never been. It's really nice. It's got a lot of history, good restaurants, very pleasant place to be. (laughs) Have you you ever had a cheesesteak? Billy cheesesteak? No. It's an unbelievably unhealthy uh, but delicious sandwich. I didn't talk to
0: him about those.
1: Yeah, that was a misstep. But... I thought it was very interesting, and it didn't even occur to me while watching the movie, that <laughs> Sam Jackson and James McAvoy are in other superhero yeah. movies.
0: <laughs> I know. So it would have been a bit weird to reference them all and a bit messy with all the studio rights and whatnot. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. So fair point that it's just 60s Batman and comic books
1: that are in this world. After talking to him, did you get a, a different appreciation? Did your uh, estimation or appreciation of his movies change?
0: No, it didn't change.
1: Okay. Uh, like
0: I, you know, I appreciate that I get to speak to people who make the movies. Um, look, with Glass, I it is the culmination of this world that has been created with Unbreakable and Split and now this. I don't think it is a fitting finale, I'm going to say.
1: Because you think that Unbreakable deserves more.
0: <laughs> um, look, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty till people have seen it, but, yeah, I just think the literal ending of the film is a bit, ah. Uh. But I guess... It is about the ordinariness of our world and superheroes who walk amongst us. So, that,
1: it yeah. does appear to be what it's about.
2: <laughs> what do you think? Um,
1: I'm very torn because I I really like the idea of M Night Shyamalan, and I I like the rest of the world was floored by the Sixth Sense, right? Yeah, and the just the grand trick that he pulled on millions of people is a tremendous feat. Like I don't think you could ever undersell that, but I I just I don't think he's a good he's a good writer, and he, he's I think he's very good at creating suspense and mood. Even his, some of his goofy camera work, I, I I like that. I I I could be into that, but I think he needs to get someone else to write some stuff for him because I just don't, and I and I know I I take. Writing in movies, maybe more seriously than most people. I just cliches and certain kinds of unnatural dialogue. I think some people can pull it off, but I, it just all feels wrong in his movies. And even though there are some good ideas and things that I I am into, I, I just can't get past that stuff, and it makes it it makes it hard to enjoy for me. But does this I, I just, include Glass? Yeah, very much so. Mm. All, all of them, and even looking back on The Sixth Sense, knowing what happens. So I've seen it several times. Mm. First time, obviously, amazing. Second time, piecing it all together yes. and seeing how clever it is. Third time, eh, it's a little uh, heavy-handed, but it's not meant. <laughs> it's not meant necessarily for that many viewings, maybe because of the twist element. But what I'm saying is, it's it's the way he writes that I think gets in the way of the other stuff he's really good at.
0: Okay, it's funny in the lead up to the interview and of, and in lead up to watching Glass, I ha- I've had a very Heavy. I've had a very Shyamalanian weekend. I watched Unbreakable. Lots of twists. Follow- oh. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I no, the mean. twist is that I watched all of his movies. I watched Unbreakable and Split in a marathon session, yes. and then saw
1: Glass the next day. And taking it all together, yes. What did you think?
0: Well, like I say, I don't think it all culminates.
1: But did, was Unbreakable as good or as? Yeah, I'd only as- said it
0: the once. I, I like it. I think. I think the way it's very downplayed is great and it you know remember it was made in a at a time where superhero movies were not out every other week there just wasn't that kind of saturation in the movie world and it it sort of was ahead of its time in that way but um no i i I like the ordinariness of it Um, yes
1: yeah it's a good idea yeah
0: yeah split the reference to unbreakable was a bit really
1: (laughs) a little twist at the end yes
0: yes it is in just the very last scene there's a yeah throwaway line and a cameo by Bruce Willis, and then the character from Split, James McAvoy, gets the lion's share of the storytelling in Glass, which was strange to me. I think that could have done a bit more with Bruce Willis uh, and Samuel L. Jackson. He gets his time, but it just, I don't know, and maybe it's saying something about that. It it plays on the beats of the superhero movie that always ends up with two guys punching each other. You know that's my issue with them. Yes. Um, And it plays with that and teases things, and I appreciate that, but I don't think it... Was entirely effective in the way it did it. So, no,
1: agreed. Sorry, Mr. Shine Alarm. Um, I, I liked Sam Jackson a little bit. I think he was the only one who seemed to be having any fun. Well, I guess James McAvoy is probably having a, a whale of a time playing uh, 50 different people.
0: I mean, it's an, for an actor. But it. <laughs> also, when you monologue, but he's got the potential to do 24 different monologues because of all his characters. So.
1: Um yeah. at watching him sometimes I felt like I was in an acting class a little because bit.
0: Because there are new personalities coming yeah, to light yeah, in yeah,
1: So you had seen Unbreakable when it first came out, right? Uh
0: yeah. Well not immediately. No, I'd seen it. I saw it maybe five years ago.
1: Did it change at all for you? Your um No. What you thought of it? No. Okay. Cause you asked him about it's t- in ten years' time, yeah. um, what what will the perception be?
0: Look, who's to say? Um Let's rewatch it in ten years. What are you doing? We'll catch up and do it. Okay. Um, but I guess, like you mentioned with Six Sense, knowing the ending to then go back with the new eyes to to watch it, maybe it will benefit Glass a little bit that way. Because I was watching to see how is he going to wrap all this up. Because he's built this world. Where's it all going? And ultimately, I found it a little, I found it disappointing in the very end. But knowing that it's going to go that way, maybe I'll see more of the machinations of the storytelling and playing. It is playful, I do think, with the way it toys with the conventions of superhero storytelling and the way Samuel L. Jackson is calling it out, I think is quite fun. There's a couple of things that I think you can see coming, certain character and whatnot. But, uh, look, it may benefit from down-the-track rewatch. But I'm not in a hurry to see it again. Let's put it that way.
1: I think if I was going to watch it again, I'd want to imagine Beast from the X-Men instead of this Beast. I think that might make it more fun. Brighten up the palette as well. <laughs> so that's Glass. It's in theaters now. Also in theaters is Piercing, which stars Mia Wasikowska as a sex worker who turns the tables on a client that wants to kill her. She's really good in this movie. I really liked her. I thought she was. I thought she did a good job.
0: Yeah, this is not Mia from. Jane Eyre, or this, no, Alice this in is not certainly not corseted yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do think she's great. I think she's the best thing about the film. This one's in limited release, so you might have to seek it out. It's certainly not for all tastes. It's a tad,
1: it's a bit graphic, a
0: tad stabby. Yeah, shall we say? Yes. Um Yeah, and it's kind of kinky, and it's yeah, and probably not one for your folks, but or your young
1: children. No, right? Dare
0: say. But hey, it's very stylized, hyper stylish story of a would-be serial killer who meets his match,
1: shall we say. So we had a chance to speak with Mia Waszkowska about the movie. We're running long on time, so we're going to just give you a little teaser, and the rest of the interview can be found on SBS Movies. So definitely check it out. But um, in the meantime, here's a little teaser of me.
0: Mia Wasakowska, thank you so much for joining us on The Playlist. Oh, thanks for having me. (laughs) Now, Piercing, this is quite a movie. Um, What was it about the film that made you sign on for this one?
3: I just felt like the character was really different to anything I'd played before and it kind of came to me after a succession of doing a lot of period characters and it just stood out as something really different and I was a bit nervous, of course, because the content was so confronting, but it just seemed a great film to, I mean, a great character to play, really, and I couldn't quite pass it up.
1: So you have you ever hit somebody with a can opener in a movie before?
3: <laughs> I haven't, but a friend of mine does say I'm very stabby in movies. Um, <laughs> yes, I certainly yeah. absolutely. I have to people with a whole bunch of different objects. I've done pencils and, wow. um, yeah, all sorts awesome
1: of things. <laughs> Did you have to do anything to get into the headspace to play this kind of person? And how is it different from preparing for something like Jane Eyre or whatever?
3: Yeah, I mean, I sort of feel like every film ends up being so different in terms of the, the feel on and off set and, and this, this one was weird because it was quite fun. It's really, really fun to play her but the end piece is so disturbing. You know, the actual film is so confronting and disturbing and it's not the sort of film I can watch generally because I just find it too confronting. It's very difficult, um, yeah. Yeah, but to play the character is just so fun because he's really all over the place and it's so different to doing very intense emotional things where you do have to use a lot of energy in a different way and sort of channel it into... I don't know, those more painful stuff and the things that were confronting for me was i mean it's never as bad as it looks on screen you know the <laughs> stabbing or the blood and guts like all that stuff. you <laughs> that it's much blood and but um oh yeah no there actually is um but all that stuff is very technical when they're filming it and um and then the rest is quite fun because it, it's just really different to you know she's very loose and energetic and you know a lot of the periods Characters that are playing are very repressed and held together really tightly and so it just feels a very different (laughs) feel physically, I guess.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah, right.
0: And we like to ask our guests, um, you know, we're a movie and TV culture podcast, what um, our guests have been watching. What have you been watching lately, loving or hating? What's been on your radar? Oh,
3: um, well, nothing particularly highbrow at the moment. I'm loving grand design. That's always my (laughs) go-to. Yeah. Um, and I've just totally gotten into the BBC period drama. So I just smashed Sense and Sensibility over the last three days, um, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I've seen recently. No, but I really want to go and see Roma. because
0: Ah, so uh, yep. Yes, very much. Yeah, look, thank you. And yeah, congratulations you. on piecing. It's a hell of a movie. Yeah, it's
1: really something. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> <It was> great. <laughs> Ta, great to talk to you. Great. Oh,
3: well, thank you both very much. Ta. Thank right. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: So that was a little teaser of Mia. You can find the rest of the chat on SBS Movies. It's sbs.com.au slash movies. Next, we come to Australia's favorite podcasting segment, What You've Been Watching. I have been watching You're the Worst. Me too. Oh, that's a happy coincidence. Doesn't always happen on uh, what have you been watching. This is a a red letter day for the segment. All right. Um, So uh, the series is back for its uh, fifth and final season. We are basically catching up with Gretchen and Jimmy as they are getting ready for their wedding. It's been a tough road for these two. And we were never quite sure what was going to happen to them. Now we're, we're going to see, finally, do they make it? Do they not make it? What will happen? It's a super weird way to start uh, the season, but I really enjoyed it. They're doing kind of a parody of romantic comedies I thought it was fun and had a bunch of laughs, and I'm very much looking forward to the season.
0: Yeah, I've, I've watched the first episode two of this season, and it probably throws you for a loop if you are expecting... Them and a wedding preparation episode immediately because it takes you on a journey. It's set in the 90s and it's yes. the meet cute of an indie couple, indie film loving couple. It reminded me of High Fidelity, very much so. High Fidelity, um, bit of Empire Records and like uh, yeah, like yeah. it's a very 90s kind of yes aesthetic, very intentionally. So lots of references and there's this beautiful indie girl who gravitates towards the. More art house minded, frustrated filmmaker who works at the video store, VHS video store. Mm-hmm. But of course, she's got the meathead boyfriend who does the old what's up. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's some very funny throwaway references to 90s things. And I love that it doesn't rush no. to explain what the hell's going yeah, on. Yeah. It, it, Go with it, settle in, and it all pays off in the end. I thought it was great.
1: In some ways, it's been it's traditional in that it's a lot of will they or won't they. But for two people who have lots of problems and are pretty hateful, that's what's been new and super interesting about the show. And then they, the way, and starting with a very traditional romantic comedy from the 90s is kind of fun.
0: Yeah. And deconstructing the tropes. Yeah. It's a whole quote unquote anti rom com, but absolutely not. It's still reverential yeah. to the beats of the genre. I think it's great.
1: Yeah. So, You're the Worst. The new episodes of season five are fast-tracked from the US on Thursdays to SBS On Demand. The first four seasons are also on SBS On Demand if you want to catch up. They're definitely worth watching. It's a fantastic show. What have uh, What have you been watching? What else have I been
0: watching? Yeah, what else? i <laughs> um, getting two bites of the cherry here. I popped on a DVD of They Shoot Horses, Don't They?
1: classic that i have always been meaning to get to.
0: Yeah, same. Never seen it before. This one late 60s american film from Sidney Pollack, director. Yeah. I thought i knew what the film was. I thought it was about a roller derby for some reason. It absolutely is not. It's set in depression era LA and it's about a marathon dance contest. Oh. That, oh yeah. And is that um, r- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. And it it's all within this dance hall and it's about desperate people enduring horrendous conditions of having to dance at all hours, having 10-minute breaks here and there and just about the desperate things that people will do for money and fame because it's used in LA and there are talent spotters in the crowd and it's riveting and you watch some of it through your fingertips because it's got such an incredible sense of place like you are there dancing with sweaty, tired people. (laughs) and amazing performances all around. Jane Fonda in particular oh, wow. is brilliant as very cynical woman who knows that the deck is stacked against her but is still playing the game. You know what I mean? And um, Bruce Dern's in there. Bonnie Bedelia is a pregnant oh, contender fantastic. in this freaking dance marathon. Um, yeah, and Gig Young is there as the... Kind of the ringleader, and he's a big band leader. Up who's Gig Young? He won an Oscar as supporting oh, for actor this? for this. Yeah, and mm. he does. He's got this phrase of yowza, yowza, yowza sort <laughs> of you know rev up the crowd who come to watch and cheer on and heckle and you know root for their favourites in this incredible endurance test that goes on for months. <laughs> like it's just it, yeah, it's incredible, and I'm, I cannot recommend it highly enough.
1: Wow. Mm. Okay, I'll take that one out. Yeah, definitely. Something different. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for our show. Make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a lot of stars. Leave a nice review. It helps people find the show. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SBS Movies. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine.
0: I'm on Twitter at Anything But Faith Fee.
1: And the playlist is produced by Dan Barrett with editing and mixing by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next week. Thanks for listening.